A couple of years ago, I was teaching confirmation at a church where I was interning, and I was asked to speak about the Ten Commandments. Toward the end of the teaching, I asked each student in the class to suggest an eleventh commandment. Most of the class came up with something involving the word respect. Always show respect was one of the options, or respect where others are coming from. There was one wise guy in the corner who said he thought the 11th commandment should be don't get caught. Another 11-year-old barely looked up from his phone and he said, live the dream. And we all kind of chuckled wondering what dream he wanted us to live. But over to the left side of the room, there were these two eighth grade girls, twins, whispering between themselves, and one girl said, well, if we're going to have an 11th commandment, shouldn't it be something that frames all of the rest of them, or something that puts them in perspective? I thought this was very perceptive for an 8th grader, and so I said, tell me more. What do you think it should be? They admitted that they hadn't come up with anything they could agree on, but they had two alternatives, and one of them offered, I think it should be it's not about you. Disagreeing completely, but in the same vein, I think, her sister said, remember, there is always hope. Today's Old Testament reading does not reside in a confirmation classroom where kids say adorable and perceptive things. Rather, today's text is set against the backdrop of war and despair. The year is 587 BC and the Babylonians have been besieging Jerusalem for some time now. Israel's promised land is in enemy hands. The people of God are about to be transported thousands of miles east into exile and the dream of everlasting life for Israel under God is about to be squelched forever. Jeremiah is in prison, and somehow even from that place, Jeremiah receives a word from the Lord to go and buy some land in his hometown a few miles north of Jerusalem, and so he does. And today's story is merely this underlining of the bizarre care with which he completes such a bizarre transaction at such a bizarre time in Israel's history. This transaction was like buying up stocks at the moment the stock market is crashing. It's like purchasing a house and signing on the dotted line the day the foundation cracks. It's like donating a kidney to someone who's been given two weeks to live. It's like buying uninsured property in New Orleans the day Katrina hits. Jeremiah is making a bizarre transaction, and it seems this is merely a story of the eccentricity of a prophet who's gone completely off his rocker, completely mad. The story of a man obsessed with hoarding his family's land holdings even when they are no good to him at all. After all, Jeremiah is just one long lectionary story of despair and delusion. Or maybe this text is digging at something else entirely while everyone else is in denial about today. 
in despair about tomorrow, Jeremiah is making plans for 50 years from now. While everyone else is seeing only the tidal wave of Babylonian power coming hurtling toward them, Jeremiah can envision, can imagine, can dream of a life when the exile will be over and a title deed might just be the perfect thing to have. Perhaps two girls in a confirmation class can be our biblical teachers today, reminding us that it's not about us and it's not about Jeremiah. And this story reminds us that there's always astounding, unimaginable hope And buying this land, Jeremiah says, I believe God will one day do the unimaginable, and when that day comes, I want to be ready. I want to be a part of it. Jeremiah is not the subject of this passage, but rather, like my confirmation girls, the teacher for us, and any good teacher is not interested in what is, but what can be. Good teachers like Jeremiah deal in the unimaginable. Once you're in the presence of a good teacher, you can't see things like you did before. You can't see the world as it is or as you saw it before because teachers have this way of introducing you to the impossible. One of the best teachers of all time, in my opinion, was my Mr. Harrison. Mr. Harrison had the invariable task of teaching ninth graders social studies. I remember almost nothing about the first semester of that class. I don't really click into consciousness in Mr. Harrison's class until February 8th, 2000. We showed up in his class on February 8th. Mr. Harrison called roll and like normal, um, but something else was abnormal. He said, all right, everyone get outside. We were already nervous because of what had happened the day before on February 7th. The day before, multiple high schools across Norfolk, Virginia had closed because of rioting in the schools after a star football player at a nearby high school, a 16-year-old black male was shot on his way home from football practice by a white off-duty officer. In our city of Chesapeake, Virginia, right on the border of white suburban Great Bridge and multicultural South Norfolk, we had a history of racial tension. And so all the parents in Chesapeake were nervous, sending their their students to school on February 8th, assuming that riots would flood over into other school districts. Mr. Harrison calls roll And then he tells us to get outside. He says, okay, I want you to get into groups. High schoolers can do groups. And so we got into groups fast. They were of different sizes and fairly homogeneous. We did it naturally. It looked like the cafeteria, except it was outside. Everybody in groups and cliques. And then Mr. Harrison said, I want you to look around and notice something, certainly, Not for the first time we noticed now in a new light that we were all broken up by racial class. 
The whites were on one side, the blacks on the other. Mr. Harrison now said, shuffle up. The groups reluctantly began shuffling and intermingling until suddenly our homogeneous groups grew into heterogeneous groups so that there was mixture of black, white, girl, boy in each group. We were all mixed up and now, Mr. Harrison said, back in the classroom. And we walked back in this jumbled, chaotic mess and Mr. Harrison said, for the rest of the semester, these are your people. He walked to the back of the classroom where the black students had normally congregated and he said, this land ain't your land anymore. He walked to the front of the classroom where the white students typically sat and he said, this land ain't your land anymore. This land isn't your land for the rest of the semester. We will listen to each other while we begin to see history through each other's eyes. And it just so happened this semester we would be studying Jim Crow and the civil rights movement. The rest of the year, if nowhere else, Mr. Harrison's classroom, we were all jumbled up. We listened to life in and through each other. And somewhere during that year, that kid on the other side of the classroom who I had never had a conversation with became Jamal to me, and I was no longer white girl to him. And it all started in the classroom of this good teacher who offered us the unimaginable, the ability to see and know each other and to imagine something beyond the tension of now. Jeremiah's bizarre task today is a lot like that high school classroom in Chesapeake, Virginia. Like Jeremiah, Mr. Harrison looked at the despair and delusion multiplying around him and he began to make plans for 50 years from now. Mr. Harrison saw within a classroom of 14-year-olds 64-year-olds who would still be at odds with one another, misunderstanding one another if he didn't make some bold moves and make room for the unimaginable. While you could cut the racial tension with a knife in other classrooms that day, Mr. Harrison was able to envision, imagine, dream of a life outside of exile when rioting would cease and knowing and seeing someone of a different race and socioeconomic level than you would be life-giving, would be freeing, would be healing. My confirmation girls were right. It's not about us. And there is always hope. Jeremiah is not the subject of this passage. God is. And this bizarre land purchase that Jeremiah is making, staking his life on, making a fool out of himself for, doesn't belong to him. I can almost hear in a big, deep, billowing voice of Mr. Harrison, God say to Jeremiah, this land ain't your land, Jeremiah. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. This is not Jeremiah's pipe dream. This is God's profound dream. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, justice shall now be found in this land. This is not our pipe dream, y'all. This is God's profound dream. Perhaps that one student in my congregation, in my confirmation class was right. Perhaps it is about living the dream. It's about seeing God's seeds of hope in a broken and bleeding, distracted and divided world, leaning into it and being a part of God's work amidst the unimaginable. When I remember the unimaginable words of Mr. Harrison, this land ain't your land. I am not just reminded of Jeremiah's field, I am reminded of the journey of Jesus from the land of heaven to earth, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus' journey from the land of the heart of the triune God to the brokenness of our land to the heart of the human rejection, it is an unimaginable thing for God to do. That's the risk of knowing Jesus. To be with the person we call Christ is to be a part of the unimaginable. As Jeremiah's purchase only makes sense in light of his conviction that Israel would return from exile, so Jesus' march down the way of the cross only makes sense in light of our conviction that God would raise him from the dead. So too... For us, protests only make sense when we can see what God is doing. It seems to be that this is a timely word for you and I. As politicians and pulpits continue to rise in rhetoric of fear and despair and delusion, it seems that you and I are in desperate need of the unimaginable right now. Here it is. When God does the unimaginable in Jesus, we then are invited to dream God-sized dreams for our world. Seeing the unimaginable that no one else can see. It's not about us. This land ain't our land. And within the unimaginable nature of God, there is always, always hope. I offer this word to you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.